0: every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I am constrained to be Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.
1: You can be seated. I want to welcome you here this morning. We're so glad to see all of you. I just continue to remember those who are not with us this morning. Some are traveling, some aren't feeling well. I just continue to remember all of them in your prayers. Again, remember no evening service tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll pick back that up uh, next excuse me, next week with our our preaching lab, uh, but just a reminder of that. Uh, No other uh, big announcements for this morning, so let's go ahead and begin our service time this morning by a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this time uh, that we can gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to glorify your name, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to give you the glory and the honor that you deserve. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, for your many provisions in our life. And Lord, as we come here this morning, Lord, we confess our sin before you. We are thankful that your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning. And that as we confess our sin to you, Lord, it is cast as far as the east is from the west. Lord, as we fight against the flesh and we fight against the world, Lord, there are days where we are disappointed in the way that we respond. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our failures, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for the things that we have done that we should not have done and the things that we did not do that we should have done. We thank you, God, that you see us not of who we are, but who we are in Christ, and that we are clothed in his righteousness, and that his obedience is what you see in us. What a glorious thought to know that all of our sins have been forgiven because of the work of your son. As Lord, we come today and we want to rejoice and celebrate because we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we have a right relationship with you. And Father, we know that our home is with you forever in heaven. And so we pray today, God, that we will glorify you in every part of this service. We ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's look together at our catechism question for this morning inside your bulletin. It's catechism question number six. I will read the question and then we will all read the bold text together. Who are the three persons of the one being God? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Where does scripture teach this? 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our next hymn this morning is hymn number 10, How Great Thou Art. Let's stand together as we sing. Hymn number 10. Oh, Lord,
0: my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Saviour God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds. Swing sweetly in the trees When I look down From lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook And feel the gentle breeze Then sings my soul My Savior God to thee Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross My burden gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Heaven sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration And there proclaim, by God how great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee How great Thou art, how great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art.
1: Amen. Our next song this morning is in Christ Alone. It's there inside your bulletin. Let's sing that together.
0: when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell. Him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live there in the ground. His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Off from the grave he rose again And as he stands in victory Sin's curse has lost its grip on me I am his and he is mine Bought with the precious blood of Christ Guilt in life, no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man And ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand
2: Good morning. Let's pray to the God of the Bible, the omnipotent one the omniscient one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. And give him thanks for the things that he has brought into our life this past week, and that we uh, receive grace upon grace upon grace. So let us bow in prayer. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are most definitely blessed beyond measure, a people that have been received into your family. Lord, we thank you for that great grace, and Lord, at this time of so many things attacking us this past week, it was your grace that gave us strength to move forward, so in that Lord, we are thankful for the ability that you have given us to believe in you, to trust in you, to work in you, and to do all things for you and for your glory. So we pray this day as reflecting back this past week that you have provided everything that we have needed and taken away things that we did not need and continue to kill our idols. So, Father, with thanksgiving, we bring forth our offerings and our tithe that we may truly give to you what you already own, that we may do it with a thankful heart for the glory of the lamb we pray these things in jesus precious name amen you may be seated Our psalm reading will be out of Psalm 1 today. Psalm 1. What a thankful psalm that we have, that we are able to look upon this Christ. And how blessed we truly are as we continue and look upon the sermon coming here in just a few minutes. So in Psalm 1 we read, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, in in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, nor the Lord. Not, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish.
1: Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You that we can open up Your Word and hear instruction from Your mouth. Lord, we thank You that these are not just empty words on a page. But God, are Your very instruction to us as Your people. Lord, help us to understand and to believe and to cherish that if we want to know Your desire for our life, that it's found inside the pages of Your Bible. The instruction that we need, the encouragement we need, the correction that we need, is all found here. And so Lord, we pray that as we look at this text this morning, that we will find that comfort and that hope and that strength And that we will trust more in You, believe more in You, and hope more in You. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 34. Next week, Pastor Ben will continue with our journey through Matthew. So this morning, again, Psalm 34 I hesitate to say this is one of my favorite psalms, but it's one of my favorite psalms. Uh, but I have so many of them. That's why I hesitate to say that there's so many of the psalms that are just so rich and deep in their, in their meaning and their impact. And I often encourage people, you know, it, no matter what season of life you are in, uh, you would do well uh, to read the psalms on a daily basis. Uh, because what you find in the writings of the psalmist and the other writers there is that they are also going through different seasons of life. And so no matter whether you are struggling with discouragement or whether you are struggling with anxiety or worry or whether you're on a mountaintop or on the valley bottom, uh, you will find hope and encouragement inside the psalms. And so I would encourage you to take, you know, in your daily Bible reading to, to read through at least a few verses of one of the psalms each and every day. But Psalm 34 is an interesting one. Uh, psalm 34, if you have your Bible open there, uh, we're going to read the entire psalm. We probably will not make it all the way through it this morning. Uh, but it's a psalm, that your scripture probably tells you there, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So it's a psalm of David uh, in a moment of trial and tribulation. And I picked this psalm this week as I was thinking about what I wanted to preach because it seems to be a time right now on many different fronts and aspects where people feel overwhelmed and where people feel discouraged and are struggling. And so I hope this morning that this psalm will bring you great encouragement to your soul and to your spirit. And I think if we read it in the same manner of which the psalmist wrote it, with the encouragement that he hoped to give to the people of his day, I believe that we will walk away in the same fashion. Psalm 34, if you'll stand with me, uh, let's read this psalm together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. O taste and see that the Lord is good! How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him! Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off their memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Even shall uh, evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And you can be seated. Again, you'll notice there, at the beginning, it says that this is a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech. And so I thought it would be proper for us just to turn back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21 and understand exactly what's happening here. Now, what is taking place is David is on the run from King Saul, and as he's fleeting away from King Saul, he goes into the land of Gath. And Achish is the king now. Now, the first thing you'll notice here in in, in 1 Samuel is the king is referenced as as Achish, and there in the psalm it's referenced as Abimelech. Now, most commentators believe that uh, based upon study of history that Abimelech was the name or the title that was used by the kings in those lands, much as Pharaoh was used in the land of Egypt and Caesar was used in Rome. You know, so there were many different men who were Pharaoh and many different men who were Caesar. There were also many different men who were referenced as Abimelech. It was the title of their royalty. So it says that David goes out and he's looking for a way to escape from King Saul. And he comes into the land of Gath and he hopes that he can escape away there and not really be recognized. But the scripture tells us the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish king of Gath. So as soon as David gets there, he's hoping he can slide in unnoticed, slide in undercover, not be recognized. But immediately the servants of the king know who he is. They said, well, you're the great David. You're the great king. You're the one who has slain the ten thousands of people. You are the the, the one who is going to be king after Saul. You are the one who's recognized as a great warrior and a valiant, mighty man. So David begins to fear. And David does in his fear what sometimes we do in our fear. We do the wrong thing. David here was afraid of what was going to happen to him. And so verse 13 tells us there that he disguised his sanity before them. And acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down his beard. So David literally acted as he was a crazy man. You can only imagine what it would have looked like to see this great and mighty warrior, this man who is recognized all through the land as being so valiant in battle to be drooling out of his mouth and the spit running down his beard and just scribbling nonsense on the gates of the doors there. And he did this purposely. He wanted them to let him go. And he said, the only way out of this, the only way I figure I can get out of this situation is to do this. And so then the king said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to act like the madman in my presence? Send this one, shall this one come into my house? So it worked. In the situation, what David did caused the king to look at him or take one look at him and say, get this guy out of here. We don't need any more crazy people in this kingdom. So David writes this psalm. Now, almost every single commentator recognizes the fact, and we should too, that what David did was not the proper way to respond in this situation. He was being deceptive. Uh, He was being purposely deceptive and lying in this situation. But what we see from this text is that God's goodness and faithfulness and His provision for His people is not taken away by our sinful actions. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God's goodness doesn't depend upon whether we sin today or not? Because guess what? We're probably going to sin today. And God's goodness and faithfulness is still carried through. And so God superseded what David had done, even though it was wrong, to still provide provision and escape for him. And so David writes this psalm as a celebratory recognition of what God had done in his life because David realized that even though he had done wrong, that God still delivered him out of that situation. David's plan wasn't foolproof. It was the only thing he knew to do at the time or the only thing he thought he knew what to do. But God was still the one who caused the king to act in such a manner and to allow David to escape. So he writes this psalm to give this celebration of the Lord. And it's really a psalm that is written not just for David to remember, but it's a psalm to to call all of the people to remember. And that's the reason I wanted us to look at it this morning, because I believe it's a great psalm for us to look at and call us to remember as well, because this is the, the grand scheme of what David is trying to put forth to the people, is to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. To remember the things that the Lord has done and to celebrate them, not just as an individual, but to celebrate them together. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is the idea of praise. These are are simple points this morning. We're going to look first at praise, and that's found in verses 1 through 3. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What we understand here is the idea of a perpetual praise. Now, it sounds somewhat maybe, maybe foolish, maybe unusual, maybe counterintuitive to us to think about this idea of perpetual praise. But David literally says here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David has made a decision that he is going to live his life with this firm resolve, that he's always going to be blessing and celebrating and praising the Lord. Now think about this. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, He resolves to keep up stated times for this duty, to lay hold of all opportunities for it, and to renew his praises upon every fresh occupancy that furnished him with matter. He continues to say, if we hope to spend our eternity in praising God, it is fit we should spend as much of our time in this work, end quote. What David is saying is is that our lives should be one in continual celebration of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Now, think about how much sense this makes, right? Because as, as human beings, we tend to get rather distracted by a lot of things. We get up in the morning and maybe the kids aren't behaving exactly the way that we hoped they would. So right off at the beginning of the day, we're frustrated. Okay? And we get in the car, and, we, and we're on our way to work, and we're running a little late, and we look down, and the gas light's on. So now we've got to stop and get gas. We're going to be a little late getting to work. And then you get to work, and the first thing when you walk in the door, somebody says, oh, the boss wants to see you. You've got to go into his office and see what he has to do. So then you, it's just thing after thing after thing. And sometimes it seems that we have weeks like that, or maybe you had a month like that. And so it can be very easy for in the back of our mind as we're thinking in and of ourselves to be very discouraged and thinking, man, can things get any worse? It's like how, how much more could happen? But what David is saying here, he like, I'm going to make a firm decision that what I'm going to do each and every moment of every single day is look for opportunities to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God and to worship him in every moment. He says, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. He says, so that means when things are really good. Now, that's when it's easy to praise God, when things are really good, when you get the raise at work, when the kids are behaving, when everything goes well. That's when it's easy to praise the Lord, right? Say, man, God has been so good to me. God has been so faithful. God has been so good to our family. But then somebody gets sick or you lose your job or the water heater breaks and all these other things. Now, In those moments, it's like, I don't know that any of us, in our natural human ability, we come home at the end of the day, you go ready, you're going to take a shower, you turn on the hot water, there's no hot water. You go downstairs, and not just only is there no hot water, but there's water all over the basement floor. I don't think for any of us, the first response is, praise the Lord, the water heater's busted. But this is what David says. He says, I'm going to find a way in every moment to bless the Lord. He said, I'm going to find in every moment, because he says not here, I will bless the Lord, what? At all times. So that means when things are really, really good, and that means when things are really, really bad. And David knew what it was like to do this, right, man? He had been the the great man who had slain Goliath. He was celebrated throughout all the land as this mighty warrior. He had been anointed as king, and he hadn't become king yet. And David, throughout the entirety of his life, that's again, that's the reason I encourage you to read the Psalms, David knew what it was like to be on the pinnacle of a spiritual high and in the the valley of a spiritual low. And he says, in the midst of that, I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. And the reason that he says this is because he's made this decision. This is what we have to do as well. We have to make a decision that in every situation, let's look for a way that we can bless the Lord and praise the Lord. So well, how do you praise the Lord when your water heater's busted? Well, you can praise the Lord first off that you had a water heater, that you had hot water to take a shower, that you have a house that that water heater sits in. There's all kinds of things. If we choose to look, we can find a way in every situation to celebrate and to praise the Lord. Mr. Bradford, who was a Christian martyr, said of Queen Mary when he was about to be tried before him, he said, if the queen be pleased to release me, I will thank her. If she imprisons me, I will thank her. And if she chooses to burn me, I will thank her. And you look at a situation like that and you say, well, how in the world? Could anybody have that kind of mindset? Well, because this is the mindset of David he'd had. I am going to praise the Lord no matter what happens. Why? Because he's good. Brothers and sisters, when good things happen to us, God is good and faithful. And when bad things happen to us, God is good and faithful. He does not change regardless of our circumstances. He is not susceptible to what happens to us in this life. His goodness and faithfulness and His glory and His splendor and His majesty does not change by what we experience here on this earth. He is always good. And so David says, I will bless him at all times. And notice what he says there in the continuum of that verse. He says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So he's not just talking about a mental assent to God saying, OK, in the back of my mind, I'm always going to be continually looking for these things. He says, no, I'm going to verbalize them as well. That his praise will always continually be in my mouth. Think about what an encouragement it would be to your family, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, if we were always having this same kind of attitude about praising the Lord and His goodness and faithfulness. Let's be honest. When something good happens to you, when you experience or you get something new, how often do we thank God for that to others? Because listen, when you get a raise at work or you get a new car or you get a new home or, or... or something fantastic happens in your family, oftentimes we share that news with people, don't we? We want to call somebody up and tell them, hey, listen, guess what just happened? You'll never believe what happened to me at work today. You'll never believe what happened to me this week. But when we do that, how often do we say, you'll never believe what God did for me this week? We might sometimes, but probably not as often as we should. And so David here is saying that I'm going to praise the Lord continually. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to let everybody I come into contact with, I'm going to let everybody I know about the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. So this is a perpetual praise. And David goes on to say that he's going to boast in praise. He says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Now, I don't think any of us in this room typically would think of the idea of boasting as a positive thing. Usually when you hear the word boasting, you think of it in a negative connotation because you think of that individual you knew growing up who was always boasting about themselves, about how great they were and how fantastic they were. I I remember very vividly uh, when I was in high school, we had this one kid in, in class who it didn't matter what you had done or what you had, he had done it better and he had one better than you did. And so we would purposefully come up with the most outlandish stories and things in class. The teacher was even in on it. And we would come up with these things just to see if he would try to have one bigger and one better. And he always, without fail, every single time did. So he was a boaster. And boasting, most of the time, in and of ourselves is sin. Because we, we have nothing to boast in. In our sinful self... In our weak, frail human existence, there is nothing good about me that I can boast in save the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only thing that I have to boast about. He is the only good thing that is in me. And so this is exactly what the psalmist is saying. He says, if I'm going to boast. Now, David had a lot that by worldly standards he could boast about. He had slain Goliath, the man that the entire nation of Israel feared. They were quaking in their boots. Not one soldier from the nation of Israel could walk across that field and face Goliath. And here was David, this young shepherd boy, walked out and killed the mightiest warrior that the world had ever seen at that time. David had a lot that he could boast about by worldly standards. But he said, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. He said, he is the one who I'm going to exalt. He said, everything about who I am. He said, if you look at me and you think that I'm a somebody or you think that I'm great because of the things that I've accomplished, understand and realize it's only because of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It's only because of what the Lord has done in me. It's only because the Lord has chosen to use me. That's what David's saying. He's saying, I'm not an anybody. I'm a nobody. But he knows the one who is everything. He knows the one who takes care of it all. He says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. And then he says, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Because listen, when we're boasting in and of ourselves, nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear. But when we boast in the Lord, it is an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, we can have the tendency to look at somebody and think, man, I I really wish that I could do that, or I really wish that I could be used to the Lord that way. Well, take hope and encouragement, brothers and sisters, that you can. God has no respect for a person. God will use you just the way that He's used somebody else if you are willing to trust in Him and to rely upon Him. David says, I'm going to boast in the Lord so that people realize it's not about me, but it's all about Him. And when you hear that, then the people are encouraged and they rejoice because they say, oh, what a glorious thing. Not who David is but who God is. What a glorious king this God is. What a glorious person the Lord Jesus Christ is. What a glorious being that we worship together. So it's a perpetual praise. It's a boasting praise. But I want you to also notice here that this is a cooperative praise. Look at verse 3. He says, O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What David here is helping us to understand is that when it comes to praising the Lord, that we should be living our lives in such a way that we are praising the Lord together. He, he's talking about the idea of, of, of testimony and celebration. Uh, one of the things that I think that, uh, and, and we, I think we have a pretty good uh, handle on this at our church, but it could always be better, is sharing with one another about the things that the Lord is doing in our lives, and the reason that we do that. It's not because we're bragging, but because we're boasting in the Lord. We want to share what God has done. And as we share what God has done, that's an encouragement to one another. And then David says that as we do that, that we rejoice in the Lord together. There's this beautiful concept here, even in the Psalms, of the idea of corporate worship where God's people are brought together in order to worship the Lord in celebration of His goodness, not just to us as individuals, but His goodness and faithful to all of us as the body of Christ. As I look around the room this morning, I can think of so many situations in each of your individual lives that is worth rejoicing and celebrating together because God is good and God is faithful. So here's this idea of praise, a perpetual praise always being on our mouth, a boasting praise, boasting not in us, but in the Lord, and a cooperative praise where we praise the Lord together as the body of Christ. Look at the praise. The second thing I want you to notice in this text is the idea of deliverance. Look at verses 4 through 7. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. the idea of deliverance. First thing in this passage of deliverance is there's a place that we call upon. Look at what David says. He says, I sought the Lord. Now, Again, David was a mighty warrior. But by reading this passage in first Samuel, what we understand is that even as this mighty warrior, even as this accomplished figure, David still had fear. David still was afraid. And as he went into this other land, he thought he would escape. But as soon as he was discovered, David, in his fear, began to devise a plan of his own accord to try to get out of it because he was afraid. so David helps us to understand that in our time of fear, in our time of need, that we have a place to call upon and that place to call is upon the Lord. He says, I sought the Lord. I I sought Him out. I prayed to Him. I called to Him. Now look at this precious promise here. He says, and He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. One commentator said, let us go to the Lord. Let us call upon Him and watch all of our fear disappear. What a promise that is. It doesn't matter what your fear is. It doesn't matter what your discouragement is. The promise of the psalmist and the promise of God's Word here in this passage is that if we seek the Lord, He will answer us. My brothers and sisters, I, I think sometimes we, we miss how incredible those promises are. Because God does not hear the prayer of the unsaved. The only prayer that God hears of the unsaved is the prayer when they cry out to Him in repentance. That is the first prayer that He hears. Other than that, their prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. But God hears the prayers of His people. God hears the prayers of the righteous. And the promise is not only does He hear the prayers, but He answers them. Who among us as a parent has not heard the cry from a child or cry from our children and not gone to them when they needed us, right? As a parent, you understand, the the, the older your kids get, you can understand between a cry of fear and desperation and a cry of, of just trying to get something their own way, okay? You know what it sounds like. And so in the middle of the night, you hear a child screaming out in fear. There is no parent who says, ah, well, whatever, they'll get over it. No, you immediately, you get up and you go to them and do whatever you can to absolve that fear. And if we, as sinful human beings, respond in such a way, so much more so does the God of all creation, who loves His people, respond to us in those moments of fear and desperation. The psalmist says that He sought the Lord, He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. We have a place to call. The second thing he tells us is we have a place to look because he says they look to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. We look upon the goodness and the faithfulness of who God is. It's just this idea of beckoning and and remembering who God is. It's looking upon him and his word. Obviously, we can't look upon God as a as a being, Because we can't see Him in this place. We can't look upon God in in, in the physical sense, but we can look upon Him in His Word and in His promises and in the truth of who He is. And it says the idea of looking upon Him, is it, it changes the faces of the people who look to Him because we see His goodness and His faithfulness and we will never be put to shame. That means we'll never be discouraged. That means we'll never be put aside. He's not going to cast us away if we look unto Him. God is not going to push aside those who love Him. Not is not going to push aside those who are His own. So we have a place to call and a place to look. And look at the promises of this. David is very honest in this psalm as he is in many of his psalms. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. See, he, he's describing himself in this situation. He realizes how low he is. He realizes how afflicted he is. He realizes how, uh, how out of sorts he is. And so he's, he's de- describing himself, uh, not as a poor man in, in monetary sense, but as a poor man in spiritual sense, as he has no other thing to offer. He has no other hope. He has nothing to give, nothing to, to, to set forth. And he says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles." Because in this situation that David was in, David knew what the potential was. And even though he tried to get out of it on his own, there was at some moment in the midst of this, perhaps even as, as David is slobbering all over himself and pretending to be crazy, in the back of his mind, he's praying and asking God, God, I don't know what else to do, but you are going to have to be the one who gets me out of this situation. You are going to have to be the one that does something. And even in the midst of that, God heard him and answered his prayers, he says, and saved him out of all his troubles. And the promise that David gives us here, says the angel of the Lord. And most commentators agree when David uses this passage here, this phrasing, he's speaking of the idea of, of the Lord Jesus Himself, of a, of a pre-incarnate appearance of, of the Lord in the Scriptures, of the idea that the Lord Himself, Jesus, encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. So we have a promise of protection from the Lord Himself, from our Lord and Savior, that He will keep us protected, that He will keep us safe. Now, this doesn't mean that as a Christian that we never go through difficulty. It doesn't mean that as a Christian we never go through trial and tribulation. It doesn't mean as a Christian that we never have difficult seasons. But what we find here is that God's promise is that we will not be destroyed. We will not be overwhelmed. God will keep us and protect us. God will watch over us. So in every situation, we have nothing to fear from this world because we have the one who holds the world in his hands. We have nothing to fear of what this world has to offer, what this world may bring against us, or what uh, things may come uh, against us as individuals, because we have the Lord on our side. He is encamped around us. You think about the idea of a city and, and the city being protected by an entire army camped around all four sides, watching and waiting for the enemy. This is the, uh, the picture that David is trying to paint for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is on every side for us, watching and waiting and giving us protection. The third thing I want you to notice in this passage is is the provisions so We've looked at the praise, we've looked at the deliverance. I want you to look at the provision in verses eight through 10. David says, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord you his saints, for those for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good. David now calls this idea of the Lord's provision for us. He calls you to look and to see who the Lord is. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It speaks to the idea of of enjoyment in the Lord. And maybe this is not an idea that you've ever thought about. But we are to enjoy The goodness and the faithfulness and the provision of the Lord. God gives us good things as his people. And he gives us those good things because he wants us to enjoy those good things. There is nothing wrong as a Christian with enjoying things in this life. I think oftentimes, as sometimes people have this idea of Christians is that we're to shun everything of this world and have no fun and have no excitement and never enjoy anything we do. But we're just to live dull and drearisome and loathsome lives as we just sit around and hope and wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. But God has given us good things and we are to enjoy those good things. And David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That means look at all that what God has done for you. If he's provided you with a house, he's provided you with a car, he's provided you with a job, he's provided you with, with something to do, he's provided you with this or that, whatever it may be. He says all of these wonderful things that God has done, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says it's the idea of, of drinking in or eating, really the idea of, 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 of um of of not just satisfaction, but just overwhelming satisfaction. He, he's calling you to the table, David is. He says, come, sit down at the table of the Lord's goodness and don't just eat, but eat heartily. Don't just drink, but drink merrily. Sit down and know the goodness and the faithfulness of the God and eat it in and drink it in. Satisfy yourself with his goodness. As he says, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We can take refuge in a lot of things. We can trust in a lot of things. And there's nothing wrong with with trusting in certain things in this world. But brothers and sisters, if our ultimate trust and refuge is not in the Lord, then we've got it all wrong. Our ultimate hope, our ultimate trust, our ultimate security has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God the Father. And David says how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Because if we take refuge in him, we know that everything will be taken care of. If we trust in him, God will give us every good thing that we need. This is the promise we see over and over and over in the scriptures. Is that when we trust in the Lord and are obedient to him, that God handles everything that we need. Remember Matthew chapter 6. We're not to worry about what we will eat, or what we will drink, or what we will wear, right? For your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I've been young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or His seed begging bread. All throughout the Scriptures, we find this blessed promise of the Lord that if we put our trust in Him, He will provide for us. Notice this is exactly what David tells us in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him, there is no want. It's the idea of true worship of the Lord. It's the idea of what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6. If we seek the Lord, if we're obedient to Him, Seek after His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It's the idea of true worship. It's the idea of understanding who God is and not just understanding who He is, but seeking to be obedient to everything that He has called for us to do because that's what true worship is. True worship is not just saying how great God is, but taking that idea of how great God is and applying it to our lives so that we live like we believe that God is that great. Because it's easy to give God mouth service. It's easy to give mouth service to people and talk about, oh, I believe that God is great and mighty and holy and just and righteous and wonderful and omnipotent. But do we live that way? Because the true fear of the Lord is evidenced by the way that we live our lives. We can say that we believe God is just and holy, but do we live our lives like He is just and holy? And David says, if we fear the Lord, there is no want. I mean, that's an incredible thing to think about that. Look at verse 9, the second part. For those who fear the Lord, there is no want. That means God gives them and provides for them everything that they need. It may not be everything that they desire. If we're honest with ourselves, there are certain things that we desire that we could not blame the Lord for not giving us because we don't need those things. And the promise of the Lord is not that He'll give us everything we want, but everything that we need. For those who fear Him, there is no want. And David reiterates this promise. He doesn't just say it once, but he says it twice. And I think he does so because he wants to get the point across to all of us because this can be, I think especially for us in in 21st century America, we have a lack of understanding of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in situations like this. We really, I think, in, in a grand scheme of things, and I don't think this is too grandiose of a statement to say. But in in, the, in America in the 21st century, I think we have lost. We've lost the concept of faith and trust in God, the way that our Christian forefathers had, say, a hundred or two hundred years ago. And trusting God for the things that we need. There are so many stories of missionaries and and things where, and I think it was George Mueller, and if I'm wrong, you have to forgive me, but I believe it was George Mueller who, when he had the orphanages there in England, they went to bed one night, and those who came to him said, we don't have any food tomorrow. We've got all of these orphans that we've got to feed, and we have no food. You know, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go out and try to beg for money? He said, no, we're going to pray. So they got together all the children, they got together all the people, and they prayed, and they said, God, we need to eat tomorrow. And we trust you that we're going to eat tomorrow. And they went to bed and they went to sleep. And the next morning when they woke up, there was food sitting on the doorstep. That's faith. That's trust. Because what does the scripture say here? He said, those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any of good thing. For those who fear the Lord, there is no want. But we almost, I think as 21st century Americans, we think about that idea and say, that's just crazy. Why? There's no way that that would work. But over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures, we see that exact thing. We see God's people trusting in the Lord's promises. Do we really believe that God's promises are true? And if we do, what we then have to realize is that, brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about what the stock market does. We don't have to worry about who the president is. We don't have to worry about all of those things because it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what the stock market does. It can go up, it can go down, it can bottom out and crash, or it could zoom to the ceiling. And God is still good and faithful, and He will still take care of His people. We can trust in His provision. Look at the last part of verse 10 as we close. He said, The lions, the young lions, do lack and suffer hunger. The young lions is a reference to the disobedient, to the evil, to the wicked. Speaking of those who would attempt to attack the righteous, they do lack and suffer hunger, but what does he say there at the end? But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. It is God's supply and His provision for His people. Brothers and sisters, as we look out at a world that is oftentimes filled with fear-mongering, at a world that is oftentimes filled with discouraging thing after discouraging thing, Let's look to the Scriptures and hope and trust in the goodness and faithfulness of our God. He has done so many wonderful things for us already, and He will continue to do so many wonderful things for us. That's the promise that we have. The, the world can't promise us that. The, the world can't say that everything's going to be great tomorrow, but, but we know by God's Word that everything will because God has promised that He will take care of His people. Let's put our hope and trust in Him, and in His provision for us. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for this Scripture. What an encouragement to our soul it is to know, God, that You have everything under control. And that in the moments of our deepest need and desire, that we can trust in You. That in the moments of our, our biggest weakness, that we can trust in You. In the moments, Father, of, of desperation, that we can trust in You. And to know, Lord, that no matter what happens, that You will care for us and watch over us. That You will deliver us from all of our fears. That, God, You will provide for us all that we need. Lord, this is the encouragement that we need in our lives right now. Lord, help us to believe what this text says. or to not just assent to it with our minds, but, God, to believe it in our hearts and to live it out in our lives. May we praise you and glorify you, David says, at all times. May your praise continually be in our mouth. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts.